1: This episode contains distressing themes and is intended for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. On this episode of They Walk Among America, the waves lap to the shore and Boston's skyline loom large in the distance. To the dog walker. The black plastic bag on the rocks looked out of place among the grey and blue scenery. Curiosity got the better of her, and she looked inside. Welcome to episode 22 of They Walk Among America, a joint production between the Law and Crime Podcast Network and They Walk Among Us the award-winning true crime podcast. Deer Island is part of the Boston Harbour Islands National Recreation Area in Massachusetts. The picturesque spot is on a peninsula that connects to the town of Winthrop. From Deer Island, you can take in Boston's skyline and the beautiful sunsets. It's a good place for a steady walk with your dog and around 1pm on June 25th, 2015 that is precisely what Bonnie Flynn was doing. She was traversing the rocky western shoreline when something caught her eye. It was a black plastic bag out of place in the surroundings. What was inside appeared to be spilling out of the bag Flynn could not see what the peculiar item was, so she decided to get closer and investigate. As she approached, Flynn recoiled in horror when she saw that the object protruding out of the plastic bag was the body of a little girl. The child had been discarded there for someone to find, alongside a zebra striped child sized blanket. Bonnie Flynn immediately fell to the ground, but quickly regained her composure, getting out her phone to call for help. Homicide detective Daniel Herman was one of the first officers on the scene. He crouched down and peered inside the plastic bag. The little girl was estimated to be around four years old, with long brown wavy hair and brown eyes. She appeared to be just over three feet tall. The body was moderately intact with a fair amount of decomposition. Investigators believed that the child was most likely either white or Hispanic. Two doctors from the office of the chief medical examiner were en route as the area was cordoned off with yellow crime scene tape. Officers scanned the scene to see if anybody else was nearby, potentially a dead mother. The area, however, was eerily quiet, just the sound of the ocean. The cadaver dog paced around the scene, but failed to pick up a scent. The first task for detectives who sought to identify the child was to compare her details with existing reports of missing children. However, a search of the database did not return a match, indicating that the parent, parents or guardian had failed to ever report her missing. That afternoon, a press conference was held to announce the tragic discovery. The police appealed to the public for help identifying the girl, They asked that if anybody noticed a young female missing from their communities, to please speak up. State Police Lieutenant Colonel Frank Matthews said, We are enlisting the help of the public for anything that they may be able to provide us at this time. Any information that they may have to a missing child would be relevant to us. If anyone knows about a child that might be missing or are concerned about a neighbor's child or someone in their family, please reach out to us. Meanwhile, the girl's body was transported to the medical examiner's office for an autopsy to determine the cause of death. However, the autopsy came back as inconclusive. It was not yet clear what caused the infant's death. There were no physical marks on the body to indicate how she had died, although the authorities were still awaiting toxicology reports to determine if the girl had been poisoned or had ingested drugs. It was theorised that the plastic bag could have been placed in the water somewhere else and had then washed ashore. The Coast Guard analysed the drift pattern of the waters surrounding the peninsula. I hope that it could provide some information as to where the bag containing the body could have been placed in the water. Charts were created showing reverse drifts. However, subsequently, investigators concluded that the girl's body had been discarded where she had been found on the rocks, as opposed to being placed in the water elsewhere. The conclusion was based on the condition of the body, and due to the fact it was not water Some toxicology reports also came back, eliminating the possibility that household cleaners like bleach and drain cleaner had been ingested. Just a week after the discovery, on July 1st the authorities released a computer-generated image of the child, in the hopes that it could create some clues as to her identity. Maybe it would alert a family member, friend or just someone that passed the child in the street or supermarket. Someone somewhere had to know who this little girl was. The computer-generated image was created by the National Centre for Missing and Exploited Children. The representation showed the child as she was thought to have looked when she was alive. A sweet-faced little girl with cherubic chubby cheeks, long brown hair and large brown eyes. Christy Andrews, who had spent 12 years working as a forensic artist with the National Centre for Missing and Exploited Children, had been the one to bring the computer-generated image of the girl to life. She studied autopsy information as well as the photographs of the child in the mortuary. Andrews then took this information to her computer and used software to illustrate how the little girl may have looked in life. While typically it would take some time to produce such a computer-generated image, it had been a rush request. Christy Andrews later said, I try to get this out as soon as possible. She explained that creating a computer reconstructed image of a deceased person requires a very intense study of the facial features, stating, We connect to each other as people through our face, and especially our eyes. I usually start with those first. In addition to the generated image, the police also released photographs of the fleece blanket that was found inside the plastic bag and a pair of white leggings with black polka dots that the young girl had been wearing. The leggings were made by Serco. They could have been purchased at Target, while the blanket may have been the brand Canon, possibly purchased in Walmart. Suffolk County Assistant District Attorney Mark Lee said, This blanket may be special to this little girl. So again, if you recognise that blanket or a child who was known to carry that blanket as something special to her, please also let us know. Police subsequently came back to the computer-generated image to add earrings. Devoid of an identity, the girl became known as Baby Doe. In the first two weeks of the investigation, hundreds of people called in tips. The state police also took to their Facebook page to appeal for information and post the computer-generated image of the girl. Over 40 million people viewed the post in the first two weeks, and thousands commented. Each tip was followed up leading police to conduct welfare checks in homes throughout the nation. Still, each was unsuccessful in identifying baby doe. Police did rule out two high-profile cases of missing girls. Three-year-old Leah Lunsford, who vanished from her West Virginia home in 2011, and Isla Reynolds, who was 20 months old when she disappeared from her home in Maine in the same year. Phone calls from terrified parents who had their children taken away by Child Protective Services began to flood the 911 call centre. They were terrified that Baby Doe could have been their child. Once again, all of the tips were followed up, yet Baby Doe remained unidentified. In an attempt to generate fresh leads... State police implemented an anonymous text-a-tip service. In announcing the new measures, Suffolk District Attorney Daniel Conley said, Someone knows her. To that person, we know that for whatever reason you have not come forward yet. But surely you know the right thing to do. Examine your conscience and look into your heart and do the right thing for this little girl. Billboards were also utilised in the hopes that somebody would be able to recognise Baby Doe. Police were working with the Massachusetts Department of Transportation to erect 84 digital billboards in 50 locations throughout the state. The billboards featured the computer-generated image of Baby Doe alongside information and tip-line details. It pleaded with drivers, Remember me? As the weeks passed with no clues, police tried a new tactic. A DNA profile of baby Doe was produced. The profile was then compared to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children database. There was no match. However, the profile was sent to a laboratory in Texas for advanced testing. The lab in Texas had an extensive database of aggregated DNA profiles. They were compared to the profile of Baby Doe. There was an unprecedented response to the image released of Baby Doe, and the entire country was moved by the tragic case as Carol Schweitzer, a senior forensic care specialist with the National Centre for Missing and Exploited Children, said, the public is really relating to it. This is the case for 2015. She was just found. She just died. The community is trying to process what that means for them. Many people came forward, making offers to pay for the little girl's funeral including the workers at the Deer Island Sewage Treatment Plant, who proposed to pay for her burial costs. Johnson Reprographics of Boston, who printed the posters of Baby Doe's computer-generated image, also refused to take any payment for their services, and they too offered to pay for the burial. Suffolk County District Attorney Dan Conley said to CNN, it makes us proud here in Boston to know that we have so many people who have stepped up to bury her. Funeral directors are sort of coming out of the woodwork to do this. Churches, and just ordinary people. A makeshift memorial appeared near the site where Baby Doe was found. Members of the community flocked to the area, leaving behind flowers, stuffed animals and trinkets to honour the little girl with no name. As a way to generate more interest in the case, a candlelit vigil was arranged by members of the local community for late July. It was held on Deer Island, and dozens attended. Debbie Larson, who helped organise the gathering, said to ABC News, It was heartbreaking. I cannot believe anybody would do this to a child. A memorial mass was held where Father Rick Walsh said, To our little sister, our daughter of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, we pledge to you and to ourselves that you will not be forgotten, and that we will continue our efforts to be that model for others, that beacon on the hill, Leading the effort to bring together and keep together our neighbours and fellow citizens. A framed image of Baby Doe was placed at the entrance of the church, greeting the mourners as they entered. A number of legislators attended the service, held at the Paulist Centre. Many mourners shared the same sentiment. The not knowing who the little girl was or what her life was like bothered them the most. Since Baby Doe was never reported missing, the likelihood that she was placed into the plastic bag by a parent, parents, or a guardian was a strong possibility. It is estimated that parents are responsible for more than half of all murders of children. When it comes to children five years old or younger, that figure is even higher at 70%. The majority of children who die from abuse or neglect are four years old and under, around half for less than a year old. Perplexingly, there was a certain element of care taken. Somebody had gathered Baby Doe's long brown hair into a ponytail with a red elastic band had dressed her in polka-dot leggings and somebody had wrapped her up in what was presumed to be her favourite blanket. The authorities continued to appeal with District Attorney Dan Conley stating, If you are the parent or caregiver of this young girl, please step forward. Clear your conscience. According to experts, It's extremely rare for a child to turn up dead but remain unnamed. The FBI said that at the time there were around 870 bodies believed to be under 18 years old that continued to be unidentified. Out of those 870, only around 88 were believed to be children between the ages of 2 and 10. Finally, in August, police got a break in the case. Baby Doe's clothing had been sent to be analysed. Pollen was discovered on the fabric. The analysis found pollen from two types of cedar trees that did not grow in the wild any further south than New York. This reduced the location down, and under further analysis it was determined that both cedar trees were in the Boston Arboretum indicating that Baby Doe was from Boston. Investigators could now focus their search in the surrounding area. Further testing was completed. This time experts compared residual oxygen isotopes in Baby Doe's hair and teeth with known levels of drinking water. The purpose was to try and pinpoint where she had lived or where she had links to. The results suggested that Baby Doe spent time in any of the New England states. Still, with the findings, police could not draw any specific conclusions. Over a month rolled by, until there was a massive breakthrough in the case. On September 18th, almost three months since her body was discovered it was announced that Baby Doe had been formally identified as two-year-old Bella Bond. A 40-year-old mother, Rochelle Bond, and her mother's 35-year-old boyfriend, Michael McCarthy, were arrested. Suffolk District Attorney Daniel Conley announced that he had authorised a murder charge for McCarthy and a charge of accessory to murder after the fact for Bond. At a news conference declaring the charges, Suffolk District Attorney Daniel Conley said that just shy of three years old, Bella Bond was a true innocent. This child, whose very name means beauty, was murdered. Bella Bond was born to Rachel Bond and Joseph Amoroso on August 6th, 2012. The then-homeless couple had met in a tent at Occupy Boston, but the romance was not to last. Before Bella was born, Amoroso ended the relationship after he discovered that Bond had been arrested for prostitution. Amoroso never met his daughter. Bella was not Bond's first child. She had given birth to two children more than ten years beforehand. Both of these children were removed from Bond's custody and she had her parental rights terminated. One of the children was adopted by her maternal grandmother while the other was adopted outside the family. Rochelle Bond had a lengthy criminal history that dated back to 1994. However, her early life had been far from easy. Along with her older sister Tamira... They had been abused at the hands of their mother and babysitters. This reportedly led Bond down a dark path of drug abuse, then sex work to fund her addiction. She racked up more than 20 different criminal charges involving prostitution, drugs, assault, and theft. She spent eight years living on the streets. Michelle Bond was sleeping under bridges and couch surfing. At times, police struggled to find her. Then, in 2011, she became pregnant with Bella. The mother-to-be spent most of her pregnancy in prison. For a month following Bella's birth, they lived at the Mary Eliza Mahoney Family House Shelter in the Roxbury neighbourhood. The support and supervision included a home visiting programme and a therapist. At the time Bond had been on probation, which meant that several professionals came to the family shelter to see the mother and baby. Natalie Camejo had been staying in the family refuge at the same time as Bella and Rochelle Bond. Speaking of Bella, Camejo later said, She was beautiful, so innocent. She was playful. The youngster loved cats, the colour green, and dancing along to country music on the radio. Despite the assistance provided to her at the family shelter, Rochelle Bond was reported for child neglect. Between August and December 2012, and then again between June and September of 2013, She received visits from the Department of Children and Family Services, also known as the DCFS. The allegations of neglect were investigated and supported by the DCFS, which resulted in them offering Rochelle Bond services to assist her with the care of Bella. This included regular intervention by a DCFS social worker. At the time, the department were aware that Bond had lost the parental rights of her two older children. The DCFS received mixed reports about Bond's parenting and whether she had the ability to care for Bella. Some said Bond was a good parent, while others said she was neglectful. The concerns highlighted were the same issues raised when Bond lost the parental rights of her first two children all those years earlier. Bond's criminal record combined with her parenting history, substance abuse, lifestyle choices and mental health issues should have triggered an emergency investigation. However, this was not carried out and Bond received a 45-day comprehensive assessment. Then, in September 2013, the case was closed. When the Department of Children and Family Services shuts a case, their decision must be based on a combination of information. They had observed Bella to be a happy baby who was being well cared for by her mother. This observation was shared by the professionals assigned to work on the case. They found that Rochelle Bond was adapting well with the help of her probation officer and services provided by the family shelter. The DCFS felt a sense of security because they believed that Bond and Bella would remain under the supervision of the family shelter. It was expected that if problems were to arise again, then the refuge would get in contact with the DCFS. This was, however, not the case. When the Department of Children and Family Services were no longer directly involved, things changed, and quickly. Michelle Bond terminated the services provided to her by the family shelter, and she was discharged from probation. Bond and Bella then moved into another family shelter, where they remained for three months before finding their own apartment in October 2013. This was made possible with the state-funded rental voucher program, which gave Rochelle Bond housing stabilisation services. Moving into the apartment resulted in the services and supports received at the family shelter ending. Bella and her mother were now on their own. For a while, things seemed to be working out for the mother and daughter duo. Michelle Bond received housing services and public assistance from a handful of state and federal programs. Bella was receiving paediatric care. She was up to date on her immunizations and was set to hit her developmental milestones. Michelle Bond was well versed with state and local agencies and for more than 15 years she had relied heavily on them. She received transitional aid to families with dependent children and food stamps while the Department of Housing and Community Development Housing voucher paid most of her monthly rent. She was also given a monthly supplemental security income check, which came from the federal government, as well as a state payment each month. Tragically, somewhere along the way, Rochelle Bond slipped back into her old habits. Around this time, she would meet Michael McCarthy, who led her down an even darker path. It was her daughter Bella who paid the ultimate price.
0: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite
1: Much like Rochelle Bond, Michael McCarthy also had a lengthy criminal record. In 2002, he was arrested for shoplifting and malicious destruction of property at South Shore Plaza in Braintree. In 2005, he was arrested in Dorchester for stealing more than 60 razors and cartridges from a Walmart and was charged with possession of a hypodermic syringe. When McCarthy was taken into custody, his mother told the police that she had refused to let him inside her home because he was on drugs. McCarthy also had a history of mental illness, violating probation and failing to appear in court, as well as completing mandated substance abuse counselling. After his mother died in 2013, he spiralled further out of control. According to the Boston Globe, McCarthy was often spotted at a methadone clinic with a Pomeranian dog. On occasion, he shaved off all of his hair and all of the dog's fur as well. The Boston Globe article reads, McCarthy wore the same clothes every day, rarely washed his long, greasy blonde hair, and smelled foul. For a while, he had been living in his father's plumbing store, located on Hancock Street in Quincy. Somewhere along the way, Michael McCarthy picked up a fascination with the occult. He believed that he could remove demons from people's homes. McCarthy had lived a transient lifestyle, and like Rochelle Bond, was sporadically homeless. Bond and McCarthy met outside a CVS pharmacy in 2014. By February of the next year, McCarthy had moved into the apartment Bond and her daughter Bella called home on Maxwell Street in Dorchester. Both Bond and McCarthy were dependent on heroin, and they had no qualms about taking it in front of Bond's daughter. Life for Bella with Bond and McCarthy was nothing short of chaotic, marred by abuse and neglect. The couple often yelled and demeaned her. According to Michael Sprinsky, who lived with the couple for a while, on two separate occasions he had witnessed them locking Bella in a closet for around 30 minutes to one hour. Bella screamed and cried to be let out but her pleas fell on deaf ears. Sprinsky said that both Bond and McCarthy believed that Bella was possessed by demons. On one occasion, Bond spanked Bella because she would not say that she was possessed. This was witnessed by Sprinsky, who later said, ''I thought it was crazy. They both thought the child was possessed by demons.'' they asked her constantly. In addition to the talk of demons, McCarthy would also speak about exorcisms. sprinsky would later detail this to a packed courtroom.
2: One night I was with him and another woman and they were at a beach in Quincy and uh, he took her down to the water and thought that he could baptise her.
3: Yep, just yes or no. Did he ever discuss
2: exorcisms with you? Uh yes. And what did he t- discuss with you about exorcisms? This is like one of the, one of the last parts of me me and him speaking with each other. He was speaking a lot about that. What did he say? He said he had he had abilities. And what abil- Did he specify what abilities he had? Um, just to rid
1: evil spirits. Michael Sprinsky eventually moved out of the apartment because he disagreed with how Bella was being treated. He did not like how Bond and McCarthy were acting. Sprinsky was not the only one who noticed how badly Bella was being treated. Her godmother said that Bella would be left with her for weeks at a time. Megan Futrell claimed that she had contacted the police twice for a welfare check to be conducted for her goddaughter. Still, according to State Police and Suffolk District Attorney Daniel Conley's office, they had never received such a tip. Rochelle Bond had become estranged from her family, most of whom did not know she had another child. On the rare occasion she saw her sister Tamira, she would attempt to hide the signs of abuse on Bella, much like their own mother had done with them. According to neighbours, the apartment was a revolving door for people struggling with drug use who came to the property at all hours. The apartment was a mess, with dirty dishes piled high in the sink. Neighbours recollected how they frequently saw Bond staggering to and from the building and smoking on the porch. They often heard screaming matches between Bond and McCarthy, punctuated by the constant sound of Bella crying. Only occasionally was she permitted to play with other children in the neighbourhood. Rochelle Bond's Facebook account had portrayed a happy life with Bella at least before McCarthy moved into the apartment. Online, she appeared to be a doting mother. On August 18th, 2014, she posted, My Bella loved her birthday party and all the awesome things she got. Broke the bank on it, but it's all worth it to see her happy and laughing and smiling. Just a couple of weeks later, she posted a photograph of Bella wearing a romper, alongside the text, Look at my Belle. The outfit isn't supposed to be a catsuit. Love her to death. I am on top of the world because of her. Rochelle Bond had credited Bella with helping her get her life back together, but in December 2014... Pictures of the toddler stopped appearing on her mother's Facebook account. Then around June 2015, neighbours began to notice that Bella was absent. The sound of her crying had stopped. She was not around to play with the other children in the neighbourhood. After her mother's history and the situation at the apartment... Some speculated that Bella had simply been removed from Bond's care by the Department of Children and Family Services, like her first two children. Locals did not put two and two together as they watched the news on the Unsolved Baby Doe case or when they drove past the billboards with her face emblazoned on the front. A handful of neighbours said they did not want to pry and ask questions about Bella because Bond seemed unstable. They did not want to get on her bad side. Shortly before Bella was identified, Rochelle Bond visited Joseph Amoroso, Bella's father. He had been in Florida, and he returned to Massachusetts in August. He wanted to connect with his daughter. While he had never met Bella, He had spoken with her on the phone a handful of times. At first, Rochelle Bond had told Amoroso that Bella had been taken away from her and placed into the care of the Department of Children and Family Services. But then she changed her story. Amoroso would later tell a reporter for the Boston Globe that his former partner and mother to his child... Came to his home in Lynn one night and said that Bella was dead. The child had apparently been killed by Michael McCarthy because McCarthy believed that Bella was possessed. Bond told Amoroso that McCarthy had gone into her daughter's room one night in June after she had, quote, been a bitch. Bond elaborated, telling Amoroso, Well, I don't mean bitch like that. She was being a little bitchy. She was giving me a hard time trying to go to sleep. Soon after, Bond said that she went into the room and saw Michael McCarthy punching her daughter in the stomach. Bond explained to Amoroso that Bella died from her injuries. Desperate to cover up the crime... McCarthy got a plastic construction bag and bundled Bella's tiny body inside before placing the bag in a refrigerator. Seemingly unfazed by the horrific nature of what had happened, the couple scored a large amount of heroin and spent the next couple of days getting high as Rochelle Bond's dead daughter was only a few feet away. The decomposition process had been stalled as the body was in a refrigerator. According to Bond, the couple then decided they needed to get rid of the evidence. McCarthy got Bella's body out of the refrigerator, placing her in a duffel bag and carrying the bag out to the back seat of his car. He drove to Quincy, where his father owned a plumbing store. Here both Rochelle Bond and Michael McCarthy took a barbell to weigh down Bella's body. They then drove to the Boston seaport where they threw her body over a fence into the harbour. In the process, the duffel bag must have opened. The body floated to the surface while the bag of weights sank fast. Bella washed ashore where she was eventually found. Michelle Bond admitted to Joseph Amoroso that after Bella was dead, Michael McCarthy kept reminding her that she was a, quote, child of Satan. Between August and September, Michael McCarthy spent his time searching for drugs, looking for his next fix. All the while, the authorities were desperately attempting to identify the child only known as Baby Doe. McCarthy called his drug dealer a total of 306 times over this period. Rochelle Bond relayed the same story to her former roommate Michael Sprinsky around the same time she confessed to Bella's father. Beforehand, Bond had told Sprinsky that Bella had been taken away from her by the DCFS. When she met up with him, she told Sprinsky that she had recently stopped taking drugs. Sprinsky suggested to Bond that since she was clean, she could maybe regain custody of Bella. It was then Bond broke down in tears, telling him, I'll never see my daughter again. She went on to say that McCarthy had killed Bella because he believed she was possessed. Following the disturbing conversation, Sprinsky texted McCarthy. He would later recount what happened on the stand.
2: Did you send him a text message? Yes. What did it say? It says, please say it ain't so like, please, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Was there a response before your
3: next text? Not that I can see. And then... How did you, you, did you send another text approximately 22 22 minutes later? Yes, I did. What did it say? I called him a punk. Did you actually call him a punk ass?
2: Yeah. How did he respond? He said, what? I left the hospital because they were going to tow my car. And how did you respond to that text? I said, I got to go somewhere. What well, you did what I heard. It's imaginable. Wow. And did he respond? He said, I have no clue what you're talking about. And then did he follow that up with another text? What are you saying, man? And then did you respond? Yes, I did. What did you say? I said, you betrayed me, bro. I've heard it all. And how did he respond? Says, betrayed you? How? Bullshit. Never said a bad word about you. Always ready to throw it down with you. Can't wait to hear this lie. And always, I'm sure it came from a very wonderful, solid source. And how did you respond? I said she told me everything. Can't stop puking. She says you killed Bella. Said you, she
3: she said you killed Bella Bro? Yes. And then did you follow up with another text? Yes, I did. And that was... A- roughly almost four minutes after the the
2: text before it yes and how did what did you follow up with she told me everything bro can't stop puking is that a separate text or a, a stutter of the first text um that's a separate one and then how did you respond after that how the fuck could you do that did he respond to that no i didn't did you follow up with another one I said, dude, what the fuck? Where is the kid? And how did he respond to that? He said, wow, well, you're listening to a cracked out hooker. DSS took Bella. That's what she told me, and this is crazy, saying on the phone. Why the fuck would she wait till now to tell that sir cracker lost back?
1: Michael Sprinsky immediately spoke with his sister, telling her that he believed that the missing child known as Baby Doe was in fact Bella Bond. Sprinsky's sister contacted the police, and later that night officers executed a search warrant at Rochelle Bond's and Michael McCarthy's apartment in Dorchester. Bond was brought in for questioning. She told the police the same story she had told Amoroso and Sporinsky. McCarthy had killed Bella because he thought she was a demon. As the search warrant was executed, police rushed to Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center, where McCarthy was awaiting surgery for an abscess. When they entered his room, he appeared perplexed.
4: Do you understand what I've read to you? Yes. You do. Okay. Having these rights in mind, do you wish to talk to me now?
5: Um, yeah, I don't. Well, I mean, I don't even know what it's about, so.
4: Well, again, it's, it, this is totally up to you. Uh, I need to read you these rights, and it's your choice whether you talk to me or not. Um, if, if, you, if you want me to read these rights to you again.
5: No, no, I understand. I understand the whole rights thing. You I'm do. just well, saying we'll, I don't.
3: We'll explain everything to you after we go through the paperwork. We'll, we'll explain it, we'll, what this is about. We have to go through this paperwork. Right?
5: Oh, I see what
1: you're saying. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So having right.
5: these
4: rights in mind, you wish to talk to me now?
1: Uh, so far, I don't... Yeah, so far. Michael McCarthy claimed that he was not Rochelle Bond's boyfriend. He simply slept on the couch. Who, you,
5: who
4: did you live in Mattapain with?
5: Um, Rochelle Bond, but I don't even know if that's her real name or not. She said she has another name, I think her real last name's Jones.
4: Who's Rochelle Bond? Is that your girl, was it, you said your girlfriend's Kathleen, who's Rochelle then?
5: Yeah, Rochelle's someone, she's
4: just like a friend. Friend, okay. Uh, how old is she? She's in her early 40s. Who else, any other roommates, who else you live there with? Um, Like,
5: she had people in and out of there sometimes, um, but no, like, roommates that stayed there. And people would, like, spend the night
4: sometimes, but
5: no,
1: no
4: roommates. So it was just, she just lived there by herself? Yeah. Yeah, and, and you? Yeah.
1: Trooper Joel Balducci told Michael McCarthy that he was there to talk about Bella. McCarthy claimed that Bond had told him Bella had been taken away by the Department of Children and Family Services.
4: Were you staying there every day? You were staying there every day, right? At that point, yeah. And when? So, would you just come home one day and, and Bella was gone? Or, yeah. And I was like, what? Yeah. Was it a process? Like, do they come? I'm just, I don't, I don't know the answer. That's why I'm asking. You. Was it a process? Like, does, does DSS do they contact her and then like give her like a warning or was 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 she? Was it? I've not had to deal with the reality. Did she? Did she talk about it? She complain
5: about I it? I don't know right? how it goes. I mean, she she yeah. had mentioned that somebody had said something to her because she like gave her a little spank in the ass. Really? Yeah, and she was like, you know, nowadays DSS can get taken for take kids for nothing. Yeah. All the time, she's like, it's ridiculous. Though, she's like, the other kids I've lost were all for nothing. <laughs> She's like the, you know, courts get involved and it's for nothing. I don't know how much truth there is
1: to it, but... Officer Balducci would finally reveal to McCarthy that Bond was in custody and was telling detectives a very different version of events than what McCarthy was telling them.
4: What What would you say if I told you she was talking to us? She's talking to the state police right now. She's, she's with some troopers talking to the state police right now. And she's sort of talking about the same things that we're talking about right now but her version of the story is a lot different than what your version of the story is about your relationship about bella about the living arrangements and stuff like that what do you what do you you think about that i mean i don't know how much different it could be no well again that's why we're here trying to talk to you we're trying to just find out really you know what happened between you and her and what happened to bella because is not in DCF custody, and and Rochelle is telling us something different about what happened to her. Um, and, and that something different involves you, like what? Well, that's why I'm here trying to you know, I we as investigators we just don't listen to one side of the story, we like to listen, we, we talk to both people involved. So, obviously, you and Rochelle are involved in this situation, and we're trying to get the truth out. So, I'm here talking to you. I'm just trying to find out what happened to the baby and you're telling me some things that just don't line up but I want to hear what happened. I think I know what happened to the baby but I want to hear it from you. And this is one chance for you to tell the truth about what happened. Now, a lot of things could have happened but I'd like to hear it from you.
5: I'm telling you everything that I
4: know and have been told since sense, since. Really? Absolutely. So you had no interaction with the child, or something didn't happen to the child that could have caused harm to that child?
5: I mean, I had interaction with the child, yeah, but nothing that would have caused harm to her. No. Like playing with her, talking with her, being around the house when she was around there, going out with the dog, taking her to the park, things like that.
1: Officer Balducci then told McCarthy that Rachelle Bond had said he had killed Bella.
4: I know what happened to Bella. These troopers in the room know what happened to Bella. We've been conducting an investigation for months now. We talked to a lot of people. We're still talking to people. Um, you know what I'm talking about. Now's your chance to get ahead of it and tell, and tell the truth. Okay? We want to know why it happened. And you know, if the oh shit button went off, that it happens but to sit here and lie to me about it and not come, you know, get it off your chest and do the right thing for a little girl. Michelle's already talking. We already have the whole story. I'm not making that up. I can't come in here as a state police officer and lie to you and tell you what's not and what what, what is and what's not happening. She's telling the story. Now's your chance Get out from under whatever you're under and come clean and tell us what happened and let us figure this out. Because if you just sit here and blow smoke up my ass and our asses lie and lie and lie and lie, you're just sticking yourself in a bigger hole.
5: I'm not blowing smoke up anyone's ass. If you're saying, you know, I might look nervous, maybe it's because I'm about to go into a major surgery in an hour.
4: No, I'm like I said, I'm talking to you. You couldn't have caught me at a worse time. It's okay. Like, you're doing great. I'm telling you right now, you're doing great. You know, the, the whole interview was going great until I sort of confront you with some things that that, aren't, that I don't believe aren't truth, you know? So again, something happened to a little girl, okay? And even 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 things that you said about the apartment, those aren't true. You've already been to the apartment.
5: What things
4: about the apartment aren't true? Listen, I'm, t- I'm trying to tell you little bits of information that I know to show you that I'm not in here jerking you around. I'm here to get your side of the story of what happened to Bella. And now is your chance to tell us.
5: And I told you, I told you everything I know the best of my recollection, if that apartment is different, maybe you guys were in the wrong apartment. Uh, Because what I said again is you go to the front door, the living room's to the left, then the front bedrooms behind yeah. that, then you walk and the kitchen's out there, yeah, and then no, the I'm bathroom's not, not after about that. that, and the Mike,
4: bedrooms of are- Mike, I'm worried about where Bella is.
5: Yeah, now I am too because I'm yeah. into she's been on TSS.
3: Mike, do you understand what he's saying though? When he says Rochelle's talking and giving more information than you are, do you understand what that means?
5: Yeah, I've seen enough. Well, I've seen enough TV to have yeah. an idea what this, that it, Mike, this means. Isn't t- this is the TV. I know it's yeah. not a TV, but I'm just saying to understand you, what that means. You but I she, can't. What he
3: means when she says that she's talking, and she's giving a totally different story than what you're giving, and we're giving you a chance to give your version of the story. I,
5: I'm giving my truthful side of the story.
1: After Rochelle Bond and Michael McCarthy were arrested, they appeared in court to be formally arraigned. They stood in a glass enclosure near the front of the courtroom as Assistant District Attorney Deakin revealed the details of the case.
3: On June 25th of this year, a woman walking her dog on Deer Island found a plastic contractor's construction bag and noted that her dog had run over to it and was pawing at it, very interested in the contents. She went over to the bag after asking another person for, to, to come with her Uh, opened the bag partially and saw what appeared to be the limb of a small child. Uh, She immediately called 911. Massachusetts state police and other first responders responded. uh, And they opened the bag and found the body of an unknown, unidentified, three, approximately three to four-year-old child based on their estimates of her size. She was uh, partially, she was in the beginning stages of decomposition. Uh, she was wearing white leggings with black polka dots and with no shirt. And there were two blankets, uh, a zebra print blanket and another blanket in the bag with her. Uh, their moisture had entered the bag, but it was fairly clear that it had remained essentially sealed uh, at the time it was found. Investigation revealed that the bag had been seen in that same spot on the beach uh, the previous noontime, that is the 24th of June. Indicating to investigators that the bag had been either washed up on the beach or in some event on the beach for
2: approximately 24
1: hours. Assistant District Attorney Deakin reiterated the claim from Rochelle Bond that Michael McCarthy had killed Bella because he believed that she was possessed. Deakin said that one night Bella was upset and McCarthy went into her bedroom. According to Bond, after hearing silence... She went into her daughter's bedroom. She saw McCarthy moving his arms rapidly around Bella's midsection. Bond said that her daughter's face was grey and her head was swollen. Bond told police that McCarthy said to her that it was Bella's time to die. Assistant District Attorney Deakin said that Bond had informed police that McCarthy threatened to kill her if she ever told anybody about what he had done to Bella. Deakin spoke about McCarthy's obsession with the occult, revealing that McCarthy believed he could see ghosts and exercise them. McCarthy's internet search history highlighted the defendant's obsession even further. He perpetually searched for satanic rituals, demons, and aliens, as well as right-wing conspiracy theories. It was at that point in the legal proceedings, Bella's godmother Megan Futrell stood up and screamed,
6: You want help? You fucking
0: want!"
1: Fella's godmother was escorted out as the prosecutor continued to detail the case. Michael McCarthy was ordered to be held without bail, while Rochelle Bond's bail was set at $1 million. Bond's defence lawyer Janice Bazile tried to place the blame directly on the shoulders of McCarthy. Bazille said that her client had essentially been held captive by McCarthy, who she claimed would not let Bond leave after Bella's death or even use a telephone. Following the court hearing, Bazille said, she wants to see Mr. McCarthy held responsible for his actions. This is a very sad case. It is sad for everyone. It is sad for her as well. On the other hand, Michael McCarthy's defence lawyer, Jonathan Shapiro, said his client knew nothing about Bella's death. Shapiro alleged that Bond had told McCarthy Bella had been taken away by the Department of Children and Family Services. Speaking about his client, attorney Shapiro said, he is shocked and saddened by the death of baby Bella, but he did not kill her. Several hours after the court hearing, hundreds of people gathered on the shores of Deer Island for a vigil honouring the life of Bella Bond. Her father, Joseph Amoroso, was in attendance, where he revealed he no longer believed Rochelle Bond's version of events. The murder of Bella Bond led to a massive backlash against the Department of Children and Family Services. They had contact with Rochelle Bond for decades and were involved in Bella's care between 2012 and 2013. However, the DCFS argued that they had been working closely with the police in trying to identify baby Doe. They also did a sweep of open cases that involved children around the same age as Bella, and the department claimed that they visited each and every one of these children. Sadly, since Bella's case was closed, they never visited her. Towards the end of September 2015, Governor Charlie Baker stated that he was ordering new policies for the Child Protection Agency. He wanted to reduce caseloads, as well as update how the department evaluated allegations of abuse and neglect. Governor Baker additionally called on the reopening of the DCFS's Central Massachusetts office. It had been closed back in 2010 because of budget cuts. As a result, Western Massachusetts was hit hard, with more than 50% of the state's cases. Governor Baker also requested that the Office of the Child Advocate review the involvement of the DCFS and other state agencies in the interactions that they had with Bella Bond and her mother. They reviewed all of the records and conducted interviews with those who had a role to play. The review found... A higher level of response to the 2012 and 2013 abuse and neglect reports was warranted by the DCFS. The risk assessments did not accurately reflect risk and should have been ranked much higher. Current relevant information should have been collected when assessing risk. Mrs Bond's ability to parent was not appropriately assessed. Insufficient information was gathered from family service providers. Decisions to close the 2012 and 2013 DCFS cases were premature. In 2013, a mandatory managerial review was not properly conducted, and the lack of sufficient management structure contributed to poor case judgment. The review recommended several changes to the Department of Children and Family Services to ensure that no other child suffers the same fate as Bella Bond. In mid-October, the defence teams of Rachelle Bond and Michael McCarthy filed a motion, requesting that they could each hire a pathologist to conduct their own autopsies on Bella. The request was approved. McCarthy retained former Bay State Medical Examiner Jennifer Lippman, while Bond retained former Rhode Island Medical Examiner Elizabeth Lapozata. After the autopsies were complete, Bella's body was released to her father, Joseph Amoroso. A private funeral was held at Ernest P. Caggiano & Son Funeral Home in Winthrop. While the funeral was private, The community still rallied around Bella's family, offering to pay and donate as much as possible. Ross's fashions and bridal shop in Revere donated a white lace dress for Bella to be buried in, alongside a stuffed bear, a dog and quilt, all of which had been donated. The New England Casket Company and Whitman Vault offered their services. As the funeral took place, many members of the community gathered outside the funeral home. Today is a sad day, but also a day that we can finally say that she's at rest, said Winthrop Police Chief Terence Delahanty who was among those who attended the service. Following the funeral, Bella was buried alongside her paternal great-grandmother in Winthrop Cemetery. With the case making its way through the justice system, Michelle Bond and Michael McCarthy were indicted by a grand jury in December. The indictments were the same as the earlier charges handed down in September, first-degree murder for McCarthy and being an accessory after the fact to her daughter's killing for Bond. Bond was also charged with larceny due to the fact she continued accepting public assistance after she knew that Bella was dead. She had accepted $1,400. Both defendants pleaded not guilty. During the arraignment, McCarthy's defence lawyer Jonathan Shapiro argued his client's co-defendant was to blame. He said that he found Bond's claims unbelievable, stating that it was more likely that Bella was killed by her mother, who Shapiro said had, quote, an insatiable drug addiction. It's simply unbelievable Bella could or would be beaten to death without a sound. Speaking about Bond's claims that she was held captive by McCarthy following Bella's murder... Jonathan Shapiro said it was ridiculous. He also explained that Bond was the only one with a set of keys to the apartment. He added that McCarthy regularly went to a methadone clinic and attended church with his father in Quincy each Sunday. According to Shapiro, this provided Bond with an opportunity to escape if she really wanted to. In February 2017, Rochelle Bond appeared in court where she pleaded guilty to helping dispose of Bella's body and to a charge of larceny. It was part of a plea agreement she had reached with prosecutors. She agreed to testify against Michael McCarthy. The trial began on May 30th, 2017. The prosecution argued that Michael McCarthy was solely to blame for Bella Bond's death, while the defense portrayed Bella's mother as the mastermind. During opening statements, Assistant District Attorney David Deakin would detail the discovery of Bella's body.
3: On Thursday, June twenty fifth, two thousand fifteen, a woman named Bonnie Flynn was walking her dog on the beach near Island. Made a horrifying discovery. She noticed that her dog had found a, t- a tightly knitted trash bag on the beach. And the dog was circling around and around and sniffing at the bag. Miss Flynn went to get someone to try to, went to try to get someone to help her. She had a sinking feeling that something wasn't right about that bag. She couldn't find anyone to help her, so she went back to the bag and using a shell that she retrieved from the beach, cut the bag open ever so slightly. She found was the lifeless body of a young child.
1: Assistant District Attorney Deakin told the jury that Rochelle Bond had witnessed Michael McCarthy punching Bella in the stomach.
3: When she didn't hear anything for several minutes, she went into the bedroom, Bella's bedroom, to see what was going on, to see what the two of them were doing. She wasn't suspicious, she just was curious what was happening. She got up from the couch in the living room, walked across to the back bedroom door, she saw that the door was open and the light was still on, and she went in. What she saw appalled her. Bella was lying across the mattress on her back. The defendant was either kneeling or crouching over her, and as Ms. Vaughn entered the room, the defendant struck Bella hard in the abdomen. The force of the blow was enough to bounce Bella's body a bit on the mattress. Other than that, the girl didn't respond at all to the blow to the stomach. Ms. Bond screamed at the defendant, what are you doing? And rushed over to Bella. She saw that Bella's face was either blue or gray. She wasn't breathing. She appeared lifeless.
1: Defence lawyer Jonathan Shapiro would allege during his opening statement that it was Rochelle Bond, not Michael McCarthy, who was obsessed with the occult and convinced that demons had been using Bella to get to her.
7: Now, As for those demons, the evidence will show that it is Rochelle. It is Rochelle, not Michael, who has a lifelong obsession with demons and the supernatural. Let me read you what Rochelle wrote in her journal during the summer of 2015 at about the time that Bella disappeared. This is what she wrote, and I quote, How come so many children go missing a year? At least one million children go missing in the U.S. alone, and no one seems to know where they go. That's because the leaders of every country get together and torture and rape and kill these innocent children every year just so they can drink their blood and eat their flesh, so that these reptilian demons can have a moment's sanity written by Rochelle Bond during the summer of 2015."
1: As arranged. Rochelle Bond testified as a prosecution witness. She told the courtroom that she could be a good mother while under the influence of heroin. Still, she said that it was heroin that fogged her memory and made her struggle to do the right thing by going to the police. Bond then detailed the period leading up to Bella's murder, telling the courtroom that Bella had been restless for four days. She testified that Bella would run in and out of her bedroom, which had angered McCarthy. Then one night they could hear Bella playing in her bedroom. Bond said McCarthy got out of bed, telling his partner that he would speak to Bella. Around five minutes later, Rochelle Bond said she went in to check on them. Through a crack in the door, she witnessed McCarthy punch Bella so hard in the stomach that she bounced off her mattress and then tumbled to the bedroom floor.
3: And what did you see when you stepped in? Um, He punched her in the stomach. Where was she?
5: Laying on the bed.
3: And uh, when you say laying on the bed, what part of her body was on the bed? Her front, her side, her back? She was on her bed was she on the bed sort of the way you would expect somebody to be on their bed and on their back?
5: No, the bed was like this and she was laying like this.
3: She was laying across the bed? Is that right? And was were her feet pointed to you or her head pointed to you or were you seeing her side?
5: Her feet were towards me.
3: And you said that as you can, what, what was his position with respect to her, his physical position?
5: He was at her feet.
3: Was he standing up straight? No. How was he positioned?
5: He was on one knee.
3: And you said that he punched her in the stomach? Yes. With his fist? Yes. How would you describe the force of that blow?
5: I don't know. I just saw her bounce off
0: the bed.
3: What do you mean when you say bounce off the bed? Did she actually come off the bed? Yeah, she bounced. But did she Bounce up and then come back down on the bed, or actually bounce off no, the bed.
5: No, she bounced up and came back down.
3: Her whole body. Did you? Did she react to the other than her body bouncing? Did she react to the punch at all? No. What did you do?
5: So I, I, I think I yelled. What? What did you do? And
3: Is that exactly what you yelled?
5: What the fuck did you do?
3: And did he respond to you?
5: And he just kind of looked at me. How? Like, whatever.
3: What did you do after you asked that?
5: Um, I grabbed her, and um, she wasn't
0: breathing.
1: According to Rochelle Bond, she performed CPR on Bella in the bedroom. But her daughter did not respond.
0: She wasn't
5: breathing, so I tried to do CPR.
3: Are you trained in CPR? I had done it when I was
5: in high school,
7: yes.
3: Had you been recertified recently, or was that something you learned a long time ago?
5: No, it was something I learned a long
3: time ago. And what describe what you did to do CPR.
5: So I, I breathed in her, in her mouth three times, held her nose, and then did three chest compressions, and then
3: breathed in her mouth three times. Back and forth. How did she look to you when you went over to her to do CPR?
5: Her head
3: was um, swollen and grey. Grey? As you were doing, how long did you do CPR for? I don't know.
5: I'm not
3: sure. Did you see any sign that it was working? No.
1: Michelle Bond then picked up her daughter to move Bella from the bedroom, but McCarthy allegedly grabbed her and began to choke her. He said he would kill me, Bond said. Bond testified that McCarthy choked her until she was unconscious. When she finally came to, she claimed that McCarthy injected her with heroin. She said that the next couple of days were a haze, but she remembered waking up with McCarthy standing in front of her.
3: He tossed shoes down next to me and... He gave me a shot of heroin. He injected you with heroin? Yes. Where? My throat, my neck. In your neck? Excuse me. Is that something that he forced on you, in other words, did he he overpower you to do that?
6: No, I was sick and, you know,
1: no. Michael McCarthy gave Rochelle Bond a pair of shoes and ordered her to come with him.
5: So I got up and he had me by the arm and
3: he brought me outside where to? his car was there where was it? in front was it day or night? night, it was do dark you, do you know what time? I
5: don't know, it was really dark up I mean, it,
3: it was dark up could you tell by traffic or anything else? there was no traffic what happened when he took you out to the car? so he opened the door for me to get in and
5: um, he went around to get in front and when I looked in the back I saw my green no, Meg. And I see her side through it. Like it was her in there. And uh, I screamed something, I don't even know what it was, and then he hit me.
3: And Where did he hit you? Head. <laughs> Are you indicating the side of your head? Yes. Where on the side of your head?
5: Like about here.
3: Do you know what he hit you with? I, I don't know.
5: His hand, he had a hammer in there for me too, I don't know.
3: But you don't know what he hit you with?
1: McCarthy and Bond walked towards the car, and Bond said she saw a portion of her daughter's body in the back seat, hidden inside a green duffel bag. She could see Bella's thighs. Bond began screaming, and McCarthy hit her on the head. She claimed she passed out while in the front seat. Bond recalled driving around the South Boston waterfront, where she assumed that McCarthy had disposed of her daughter's body. Afterwards, the couple returned to the apartment, where they went on a heroin binge for three months. Rochelle Bond alleged that when she came off heroin, she finally realised she needed to do the right thing, informing somebody that her daughter was Baby Doe. Being questioned on the stand, Bond was asked by Assistant District Attorney David Deakin, Did you think about running out of the apartment, running as fast as you could? Bond replied, He was in the apartment. I was scared. I felt pretty trapped. Two scenarios were provided by the defence and the prosecution. The prosecution claimed that Bond had been so afraid of McCarthy and had been so impaired by drug use that she had not come forward. Prosecutors alleged that when McCarthy went to the hospital for his abscess, Bond finally revealed the truth about Bella. They presented text messages to indicate that McCarthy was controlling. One text message was sent during July a month after Bella was killed. Michelle Bond had gone to housing court and she had sent a text message to McCarthy saying she would be there all day. He became annoyed. She told him that she had been informed her case was among the last to be called. He replied, All my time in court, I've never heard anyone say you are the bottom of the list. The defence, however, put forward the suggestion that Rochelle Bond only came forward because Bella's father, Joseph Amoroso, was going to go to the police after she confessed to him triggering an investigation. The defence attorney highlighted the fact that when police came to execute the search warrant at her home, Bond jumped from the window and attempted to evade arrest. He also presented text messages from July, the month after Bella was killed. McCarthy had texted Bond telling her not to mention Bella to anybody at housing court in case it came to the attention of the DCFS. He wrote, We can't lose her to the state. We love her too much to ever let those vampires be around her. According to the defence... This was evidence that McCarthy had not killed Bella. The prosecution argued it was nothing more than an attempt to plant the seed of doubt. The defence also suggested that it was in fact Rochelle Bond who was obsessed with demons, not McCarthy. She had kept a journal in which she had several entries about missing children who had been murdered and someone had drunk their blood. In the months before Bella was killed, her mother had told a friend that when she was a child, her parents had tried to pull her soul from her body. Rochelle Bond also confided in friends that, quote, Demons were trying to get into Bella as a ploy to get to her. During closing arguments... Defence lawyer Jonathan Shapiro said that Rochelle Bond was a monster who killed her own daughter. He told the court that Bond had created a web of lies to place the blame solely on McCarthy. Addressing jurors, he referred to the deal that Bond had cut with prosecutors as a, quote, deal with the devil.
7: And finally, to add insult to injury, The prosecution makes a deal with the devil, the only devil in this case, to let Rochelle walk out of jail when you return a verdict in this case. It wasn't enough for the prosecution to let Rochelle walk away from a charge of murder. That wasn't a good enough deal to get her to throw Michael under the bus. She wanted more, and the prosecution gave it to her. Testify against Michael, they said, and you are free. Frankly, that disgusts me, and I hope you feel the same way. I expect that Mr. Deacon may say something about seeing that justice is done. But he and his colleagues have done everything possible to see that justice will not and cannot be done for poor Bella Bond.
1: Assistant District Attorney David Deakin conceded that Rochelle Bond had been a bad mother, but said there was no evidence she had killed Bella. He produced a rusty 25-pound barbell. It had been found at the bottom of the Reserve Channel in South Boston. It was the barbell that was meant to weigh down Bella's body in the water. Assistant District Attorney Deakin contended that this was the barbell from McCarthy's father's plumbing store. He said this was a damning piece of evidence that linked McCarthy to the murder of Bella.
3: And the second thing that you will know beyond any reasonable doubt is that he killed Bella Bond that he took her body and put it in a duffel bag, that he got the weights from his father's plumbing shop and put them in the duffel bag, that he drove in his car with Rochelle Bond to the dump site where he had been going since he was a teenager, and he took that girl's body in that bag and he dumped it. And there's only one reason somebody dumps a body, ladies and gentlemen. Innocent people don't dump bodies. People don't dump bodies to cover up evidence of innocence. People dump bodies to cover up evidence of guilt. There is absolutely no question that the defendant dumped Bond's body. And there is absolutely no question, therefore, that he murdered the child.
1: With the closing arguments presented, the jury was sent away to deliberate. After discussing the case for 23 hours over the course of five days, they returned with a verdict jurors found Michael McCarthy guilty of second-degree murder. Prosecutors had charged McCarthy with first-degree murder, but the jury were given the ability to convict him of two lesser charges, second-degree murder and involuntary manslaughter. Sentencing would follow. And Bella Bond's father, Joseph Amoroso, provided a victim impact statement.
6: Bella's the name I chose because it means beautiful, and that she was. It was August 6, 2012 at approximately 9pm when my wife, Courtney, and I listened to Rochelle give birth to Bella over speakerphone. I will never forget the first sound Bella made while entering this world. She wailed and wailed, and right away I knew she belonged to me with a set of lungs like hers. Bella was a happy and innocent child full of light. She was very smart and learning things rather quickly. She loved Hello Kitty and she also knew how to make a pizza. Bella was a gift from God whose life was cut short at such a young age. But Bella was, still is, and always will be in my heart and soul. I believe that my daughter Bella would have excelled in college and grown up to be a very beautiful and successful woman that loved life. I can imagine her being a very loving, well-mannered, and put-together mother that loved children. I was robbed of my chance to be a father to Bella. No verdict changes that, and no justice on earth fixes that grief. The impact of this senseless act of violence has taken quite a toll, not only for me, but also my family. My father is in Florida, but asked that I share the following statement with the court. Our family is grateful that the jury's verdict has brought justice for Bella. We are comforted in knowing that Bella is safe in God's hands. May God bring us all peace in this season of sorrow.
1: Michael McCarthy was sentenced to life in prison, with the possibility of parole after 20 years. In July of that same year, just after the trial, Rochelle Bond was released from jail after serving less than two years. She went directly to a residential substance abuse treatment facility. A defence lawyer, Janice Bazile, would make a brief statement.
7: She has me. That's mostly what her support system has been. She really doesn't have family. Uh, She doesn't have friends. Uh, Certainly, people are very uh, hostile towards her. Uh, She's actually quite a strong person, and I think that she will create in the end her own support system. But right now, she needs the structure of sort of an official support system through programmes.
1: To this day, Rochelle Bond has never spoken publicly about the murder of her daughter. In 2018, she tested positive for drugs and was ordered to attend an intensive outpatient program. As Assistant District Attorney David Deacon said, It's primarily heroin that led us all here. If there weren't heroin in this case, there wouldn't be a case. This episode was researched and written by Emily G. Thompson and Eileen McFarlane. Editing by Brad Mabey. Script editing. Additional writing. Illustrations and production direction by Rosanna Fitton. Narration. Narration editing and production direction by Benjamin Fitton. For more on our series and notes on this episode please visit theywalkamonguspodcast.com. And for more on the Law & Crime Podcast Network, please visit lawandcrime.com slash podcasts. This has been They Walk Among America. Thank you for listening.